of my messages, Grieved Faith. And we're in the middle of our Sight Unseen series, so let's just pray before we get into it. God, I just ask right now that you would just interrupt every thought that would come out of me, God, that it would be your thoughts, God. Lord, this message is committed and submitted to you, Father God, and I just pray right now for your, your presence in this place, God, in our homes right now, God. I pray that we could be still and hear you and hear your word, God. Lord, would you meet us where we're at today in Jesus' name, amen. So several weeks back, um, probably three weeks ago, to give you context with everything going on, uh, I felt like, okay, you know what, Jason and I both felt like this. We need to talk about grief in this series of faith. And he was trying to take the message from me and talk about it last week. I said, no, I'm speaking on that message. I'm going to talk about grief because <laughs> I feel it so heavy inside of me for 12 years or 12, thank you, Jesus, not 12 years. So many good things. <laughs> For 12 months, it's been this seemingly moment after moment of, after moment of compounding grief in our lives. And you know, Jason and I are pretty strong people, but the reality is it's, 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 it's been weighing heavy on us in a way like never before. It's, it's, been, it's been breaking us down a little bit. This year has been one of loss of relationships as I once knew them. This Last few months, I've lost two mentors that have, have come alongside Jason and I and loved us and loved our church and fed into our church. We've lost two mentors to eternity this last couple months. We've lost normal in the last three months. And you know what? Even my children are grieving this. The other day, I was talking to Justice, and he was crying, and he was upset, and, you know, a lot of times when he's whining, he's 10 years old, so I'm like, get over it, you know, move on, <laughs> like, go get some more sleep, like, that's what I tell him, you know, but I slowed down, and I, I didn't do what I normally do, and I asked him, like, what's going on? Why are you so upset? And, you know, at first, he started blaming me for getting all over him about taking care of the dog, and then I kept digging deeper, and I was like, well, what's really going on? Because you know that's your responsibility, so you just got to get over it, right? Like, but what's really going on here? And so I just kept encouraging him and asking him, like, tell me what's happening. And he, he was sharing with me how he is just sick of it all. He is just over it all. I hate everything. And I said, well, first of all, we don't say hate. Let's talk about that. But... I was like, what are you talking about? What do you hate? And he was talking about how he hates that life isn't normal and he just wants to go to a park. And he just wants to do these things. And he just wants to not have to wear a mask in the grocery store. And he just wants to feel like things are back to normal. And he said he's been waking up early in the morning and not being able to go back to sleep because he's struggling with the loss of normal. I was like, this is my 10-year-old boy. Now, mind you, Jason and I are not very good about not sharing everything in front of our kids. We decided long ago we're going to fight in front of our kids and we're going to make up in front of our kids. It's going to happen because we both don't know how to stop talking until we get it all out. So, you know, we don't know how to, like, save things for eight hours until the kids go to bed. It's like that's not a thing in our house. So <laughs> we just understand that the reality is that we are in the midst of working out our faith in front of our kids. So they, they carry a lot of what we carry. And so I realized that this has been a loss for them too. And it's been a loss of dreams for us this year. It's been a loss of the ability to stay naive to our once childlike faith. I don't know about you, but our faith has been shaken in this season. We can't anymore walk around in ignorance. 
right? We have to acknowledge the reality going on around us. Because I think because God is asking us to be the change, right? But the reality is I miss the naivety. It's why I don't watch the news. I do not like the news. Because it, it just steals from me the opportunity to have joy in the day. But the reality is we can't ignore it anymore. There's so much going on, it, it, you cannot ignore it unless you move to the mountains and have no reception, which is what we're going to be doing in a few weeks for a vacation. Thank you, Jesus. But the reality is that you can't ignore it anymore. And then this last two weeks, it's just been compounded again. When the people of color, our friends of color, are hurting and grieving, and it's our job and opportunity to not ignore it and to stand alongside of them and to carry the pain as well. And so the reality is we are all in a season of grief. And if you're not and you have not been in a season of grief for the last three months, can you please just right now check your pulse? Because I'm not sure where you've been, but it's not here in America. In fact, it's not anywhere. There's no safe place. Like I asked Jason, I was like, where can we go on a vacation that nothing else is happening? It's not a reality in our world right now. So we're grieving so much. If you're not grieving personally and you haven't lost somebody, maybe it's not this physical grief of like, oh, I lost a friend or a, a father or a person, you know, in my life, like, for good. See, that's the reality is we think that grief just comes in the things of like losing a loved one. That's not the truth. The grief comes and it compounds in the day-to-day disappointments of our life. And I think we're in a moment as much as we think it's, a, it's, it's like we're wishing for normal, we will never go back to normal. Things have changed radically and completely. And we have to embrace it. We got to embrace the grief and walk through the grief to get to the change. And that's not my message today, but that's just a little tidbit, right? <laughs> See, the thing is, I noticed in my own life that my life the last several months has looked a lot like a roller coaster of highs and lows. It's come through anger. It's come through sadness. It's come through forgetting and then remembering. It's come through unidentified impatience. It's come through plain and simple despair, which sounds a lot like the five stages of grief. The five stages of grief are the first is denial and isolation. Okay, can I just tell you at the beginning of COVID, that's the life I was trying to live. I was like, this is going to end next week, guys. Don't worry. It's fine. It's going to go away. It'll be over in a week. I was literally like working through that desire for denying the truth of what was happening in our world. And then two, three weeks in, I got into the anger stage, which is the next stage of grief where I'm like, it's not over. Why is this still going on? You know, and I got mad. I was like, this is ridiculous. And this is probably where my kids picked up some of this. This is ridiculous. What is happening? And all these things. And then we go into the bargaining stage. I haven't really, I don't know if I've ever been in that stage of like, I don't know that stage well enough to know if I've been in it. But I'm sure I have. And then we go into depression or lethargy, which I think I definitely have been a part of in the last few months. It's been a part of my life. It's a daily struggle to even sometimes get out of bed. And, and that's not this depression of like um, a mental like, uh, like struggle as far as our physical well-being. However, it is like an emotional, spiritual struggle that I have personally been struggling with. 
And then if you are a person who already has that as a part of their physical being that they struggle with that, then it's compounded in this moment. And so then there's this fifth one that I have not got to yet, I don't think. I'm hoping today that we get there. (laughs) It is acceptance. Acceptance of the loss. I'm not there yet. I'm working through it, but I do believe God is calling me to it right now. He's saying, come on, come on out of there. But he put me in this process. He allowed me to go through this process. We are all in this process. So here's the problem in America, though. We have a just keep going kind of mentality. Jason and I, if you know the Enneagram, and mind you, we are not, like, um, using it as much as we used to just because we don't. Well, it's not that we don't like it. We just are sick of it. You know, we, we get over things and want to move on. But we still have to recognize that this is our personality. And we're both eights, which is why we fight in front of our kids because we don't know how to stop and be peaceful. So we just keep going. Um, we don't know how to lay things down. We're aggressive about pushing forward in our life. We're aggressive about continuing into the things that God has for us. And when something closes, we just keep going. And we're aggressive about that, but that, that can be a problem sometimes. So in our eightness and our just keep pushing mentality, it's when we don't recognize the things that are actually happening internally. So this week, I kind of threw up my hands and was like, okay, I'm going to talk to a counselor. So Jason and I got on the phone with the counselor, and of course it's session one, so I didn't expect much, although I did want to be fixed at the end of it, so maybe I did expect a lot, but... but I want, we talked through all the things going on in life, all the grief that we've gone through this year. And she was like, oh my goodness, you guys, yeah, that's a lot. You know, we're like, thank you. We just need somebody to recognize, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> now we're done. We just need someone to hear us. But she was reminding us that we have to be intentional about stopping every single day, about slowing down and being present and just feeling the feels, you know, all the things we don't like to do. We, we were reminded that that's kind of part of the healing process is to go through those things and to stop and recognize and experience them, for lack of better terms. And then I was talking about this with some friends of mine. I have three really close pastor girl friends who may be watching. Hi, girls. Um, and we've been talking about everything going on. I mean, since the beginning of all COVID and everything, we've been back and forth. And we were talking most currently about um, the racial divide in our, in our country and talking about listening to each other's stories and then talking about just allowing people to be in their grief. And Americans are not good at that. We're not good at allowing people to sit in their grief. Now, mind you, I think there's a point of dysfunction that happens. So it's a fine line of recognizing where you're at and, and being in where you're at, but also not being willing to stay where you're at, right? There is this fine line, but as a church, it's so often like, Jesus is the solution, Jesus is the solution, which we'll talk about more, and that's truth. But we have to still be okay with understanding that Jesus can handle our crying. He can handle our mourning. He can handle our grief, and in fact, most of the time, he's grieving with us. So here we are in this series about faith, it's like storming outside. There's like thunder and lightning and massive rain. Hopefully you're not getting it on your end, but it's a little distracting in this quiet room right now. (laughs) So here we are in this series about faith. And like I said, our typical Christianese answer to people who are struggling with anything is what? Pray it through. 
Or, you know what, that's okay, Jesus has something better. The other day I was mourning something, a loss that we've most currently had, and I was so frustrated and so angry and wondering how could this happen and why would people do this and all these things I was going through. And at the end of my complaining and really just wanting to be heard and talk it through and let it go in some ways, somebody said, well, but Jesus. And I'm like, listen, (laughs) just give me five seconds to be angry about this thing. Just give me five seconds to feel everything that's been going on internally because this is frustrating. And Jesus didn't tell me I couldn't be frustrated. In fact, all of Psalms is about frustration. So why are you trying to tell me about Jesus? Do you think I don't know Jesus? Like, I know Jesus. And in fact, so many times I am in the middle of complaining and crying out and I say, I can't say that. Because I know the favor of my God. Because I know the faithfulness of my God. So I can't say, what are you doing? Why didn't you fix this? Because I already know he has some other solution around the corner. I just can't see it yet. Many times I already stopped myself. The reality is we cannot feel guilty for going through grief. We have to be able to understand that you're going to go through grief. And that grief can produce a greater outcome. And so I just needed to be heard and I just wanted to just to know that somebody was standing with me and understood that that was terrible. And as a church, we need to better listen to each other. See, listening doesn't mean solution. It doesn't mean you have to provide a solution. I think so often we don't like to sit in a room together and ask questions and dialogue because we think we have to provide a solution to your problems. We all know the solution, that is clear, and we will come around to that at the end, but right now I just wanna listen. I just wanna hear where you are at. I have spent the last few weeks listening to a lot of people, and trust me, there are moments where I wanna correct and say, yeah, but that's not how Jesus would respond. But I know this is not the time for that. There's gonna be a time for that, and we will call people to that, but it's okay to be in your grief today. It's okay to be disappointed with how 2020 has gone because it's been terrible. It is okay to realize that we're hurting and we're in pain and we are crying out. And we need Jesus. Like, let's just look at the Bible for a second. That's a great place to be when you need to know anything. (laughs) So we're going to look at some ways that we see grief and mourning in the Bible. Here's just a few examples of time spent on mourning out of the Old Testament We see when Jacob lost Joseph, he thought he had died because his brothers, he thought his brothers had had killed him. When Jacob, Jacob lost Joseph, he had promised to mourn his death forever. He was never gonna get over that grief. Genesis 37, 24 through 25 says that. Jacob, when Jacob, Jacob died, he was grieved for 70 years, or I'm sorry, 70 days. Nothing quick about that. It's not like you lost that guy, you need to move on. And this is, now this is in Old Testament. So mourning was a whole like tradition almost. It was not just that the people who lost him mourned. The entire nation of Israel mourned for Jacob for 70 days. And that's in Genesis 53. Aaron was mourned for 30 days, Numbers 20, 29. Moses, 30 days, Deuteronomy 34, 8. Now, Japheth's daughter, 
she, I mean, I don't even want to tell you this whole story because it'll just make you sadder. But you can go read about it in Judges 11. But Japheth essentially told God, if you let me defeat these people, I will sacrifice the child that runs out of my house first to me. Go read the story for context, please, okay? Um, But (laughs) she goes and she is like, can I just go mourn for two months my virginity? She went to mourn that she was going to die a virgin. (laughs) Okay, so that's just funny. I don't, you know. (laughs) Probably not to her, obviously. It was a despairing moment, right? Like two months of this, okay? So (laughs) then we have Jesus who mourned the death of John the Baptist in Matthew 14, which I spoke on several months ago. See, our struggle is that we read the Bible and we, we read James 1, 2, and it says to have joy in the midst of trials, and we think that means that we can't be sad. We think that means we won't go through grief. But the reality is that you can have joy and still and reside in the knowledge and the idea that at the end of the day, God is still the answer, and that joy can be in that. Joy can be in our sadness And our sadness can be still real. Our grief can still be felt. And like David, even like Jesus, and even like Job, we can come back to the joy that sits in us. And that's the point, is to not get to a point of such desperation that you abandon the joy of the Lord that he's given you, that you abandon the truth of who he is and the promise over your life. Rather that that God is saying, you can still be in mourning in the midst of joy. That is a dichotomy we cannot fathom. We cannot fathom how we can still be sad, yet also joy. And the reason is because we think joy is about happiness. We think joy is presented in the way of a smile. I believe joy is is represented in a conviction. It's this knowing that no matter how far down I go, it's Job. I mean, read Job for crying out loud. The guy lost literally everything. And yet he still resided in the conviction that his God was good, that his God was favorable, that his God loved him. That's joy. Joy is knowing that at the end of the day, I have the greatest answer and the greatest solution. So that is what I can hang on to. But I can still be in a place of grief. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. It doesn't say, he says, get up and get over it. Nope, it says he's the solution to our brokenness. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Grief doesn't hurt God's feelings. It doesn't make him feel like we don't have faith anymore. Rather, it provides him an opportunity to come closer to us, right? It invites him in to our story. It invites him in to our mess. So I think there's a difference between healthy grieving and unhealthy grieving. And I talked a little bit about the unhealthy side. And when we move over to the wrong side, we'll talk about it a little bit more in my first point here. But my first point is this, how to grieve in a healthy way. It's to learn to love the lament, in order to grieve well, we have to be comfortable with lamenting. Some of you are like, what is lamenting? It's a cry. 
See, our struggle is that we feel like lamenting is uncomfortable to God, and it's even disrespectful. That's what we think. We think, well, that's disrespectful. You don't do that. Here's why. Because you look at God as an authoritarian figure instead of a relationship. And while God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is also in great relationship to his kids. So while he loves you and wants, to, wants you to honor him in that sense, he wants you to love him and honor him and know him as a father above everything. But see, that's our problem is that we just dissect things in such ways that we feel like, if I tell you what I'm really feeling, God, your feelings are going to be hurt. Listen, first of all, he is God. He's already heard it. David said it for us, so you might as well just repeat it, you know? So the reality is that we have to stop looking at God like an authoritarian, like a dictator trying to tell, saying, well, I put you there, so you just got to deal with it. He wants to be close to you. The Psalms are an example of David not being worried about offending God. He says this in Psalm 102, 1 through 2, and this is the message version. God, listen. Listen to my prayer. Listen to the pain in my cries. Don't turn your back on me just when I need you so desperately. Pay attention. This is a cry for help and hurry. This cannot wait. Do you think David said that nice? No. David was despairing. He was in a place where he needed help. And he just had the moment to cry out and say, help me, Jesus. Please help me. Not help me, Jesus, with my attitude to straighten me up. Literally save me from my circumstances. He wasn't afraid of the lament. Our staff read this book called The Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, the, um, I mean, what? I don't even know what day it is. So it's June. Back in, back in January, February, March, we read this book. And uh, good timing, really, because, you know, prayer, all the things prayer. But um, he says this, a couple of quotes I want to give you. Most laments are not prayers of surrender, grieving what cannot be changed, but a call to arms. They are the spiritual warfare equivalent of going nuclear. You have no other option, so you reach for your most powerful weapon, your ability to cry out to the living God for help. See, that is what we see David do here. He's crying out for help. He goes on to say this, if we don't lament over the broken things in our world, then our heart shuts down. Our living vital relationship with God dies a slow death because we open the door to unsee doubt and become quietly, quietly cynical. Cynicism moves us away from God. Laments push us into his presence. Why? Because we're running to him, to complain to him, to cry to him. We're going towards him instead of away from him, even in our lament. So oddly enough, not lamenting is what leads to unbelief. In this series of grieved faith, we can see the duplicity here of being able to grieve, but still having faith because we're running to our father who we know is the ultimate answer. And our problem and our struggle, I feel like Jesus just said amen right there. He just gave us a big shout of amen through the thunder. All right. <laughs> we have to realize that our faith is most at risk when we stop lamenting over the brokenness of humanity. And that's your brokenness. This is, this is both end. We can be in our mess and still be hurting in our pain and also realize that others are hurting around us. It's both end. 
He goes on to say this, and this is what stood out to me most this week, is we live in a deeply broken world, obviously. Just, there you go. Clear. Clear, clear. If the pieces of our world aren't breaking your heart and you aren't in God's face about them, then you're becoming quietly cynical. You've thrown in the towel. I don't know about you, church, but this is not a time or a place for us to throw in the towel. So even in your grieving, you've got to learn to lament. You've got to learn to tell Jesus, tell God, I, I hate this, just like justice did. The only way he could say what was going on is I hate this. And you know, now that I'm speaking this out loud, I think it's okay to say hate as long as you're not talking about a person, okay? I told you, I told him it wasn't okay. It is okay. He can hate what's going on because that, what? What does that tell us? That something strong is going on in him, that he is wrestling through something, that he doesn't like it. And the point is that even in our lament, we can come to God and say, we hate this, God. We hate what's going on here. Please help us, God. We don't have to come to him perfectly with all the answers and all the solutions. We don't have to come to him saying it in a certain way so he hears us. David literally cried out and said, I need help. We as a generation, we need help. See, the only problem with lamenting is when it gets into the imbalance, right? But we're safe when we come to lament to God. And you see this throughout Psalms. You see David go and he laments and he says, God, help me. Get me out of this. I hate my enemies. They're coming after me. But every single time he still comes back around to, but you are good. You are, my, you are faithful. Job's whole story is about faithfulness. Even Jesus on the cross realized how faithful God would be at the end of it. And the reality is that that is what lamenting should do. Lamenting should bring you into closeness with your father. It should bring you face to face with him saying, God, why is this happening? How can we fix it? You need to come help. And we can be okay with that. Because we're not going to each other trying to yell at each other and talk to each other and figure it out together. We're going to the only one that can truly provide the answer. Which is building our faith and our expectation for change in our situation. We can build our faith and our expectation in our lament. Because our lament reminds us that I know the only solution is God. See, I don't have to say it in that moment, and I don't need anyone else to tell me that. Because I'm going to him, I already know he's the only way. So our lament draws us closer to him and actually strengthens our faith. It's when we stop lamenting, when we stop caring, that we become cynical and jaded, and we don't trust him, and our unbelief sneaks in. So quickly, I just want to tell you just the dangers of lamenting, right? We talked about this a little bit. The danger is that we have to learn to carry the balance. Okay, so even the prophets lamented. David lamented. Job lamented. Even Jesus lamented. We're going to get into that. There's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is all about lamenting. But in each case, each one of those individuals carried the balance, even David would come back around to recognize who God is, and then he would worship God. He would honor God, even in the midst of not having a solution. The problem is when our lament turns into complaining. That's when we have to pay attention. When our lament turns into cynicism, when our lament turns into 
nothing's ever going to come of this. And we quit lamenting and we move into a place of just complaining and that yuck feeling that we all know well enough. We have to be careful that it doesn't turn into complaining. Let's just look at the Israelites. What happened to them? They left Egypt, rescued from Egypt by God. Thank you, God. Not even a moment later, they start complaining because they don't have the right food or the right drink or whatever. They start complaining. It takes them 40 years to get through a desert that should have taken them two weeks because of their complaining. Because God had, kept having to stop and be like, oh, you okay? Like, let me get you some manna. Let me rain down some water out of a rock. Like, here, you still, got, still not got enough. So we have to be careful not to become like the Israelites, who ultimately, at the end of the day, because of their complaining and their anger, they didn't even get to see the promised land. So we have to be careful that our complaining doesn't take us away from the promised land. Complaining can turn into unbelief, right? Because now it's no longer lamenting. It's cynicism. And now we're in a place of unbelief. Paul, Paul Miller summarizes it like this. Good lamenting is appropriate. It goes somewhere. You don't stop when you lament. It's a battle cry, right? It's a wage of war. It's saying, we're not okay with this. We're going to lament until it changes. We're going to cry out until it changes. We're moving forward into change. It is simple and it's honest. But bad lamenting is magnified endless. It is com complicated by bitterness, self-pity, escapes, and denial. So that's the problem is that when we move into bad lamenting, we can move into bitterness and self-pity and I've been there before. I've been there. Eight years ago, I was in that place of like moving from lamenting to self-pity and anger and frustration and, and not stopping the complaining. And I, I, a few months ago, probably, well, back in November, October, Jason and I knew we were headed towards that place where the lament was starting to turn into a place of bitterness and anger. And because I was familiar with it from eight years ago, I knew I had to separate myself from the situation and get a new perspective. See, when you know what a good lament is and a bad lament is, it's easier to not fall into the bad lamenting. It's easier to go, okay, this is what I'm keeping my eyes on. But when you allow yourself to go into that place of self-pity and yuck and, and complaining, and I still don't know how God used us in that season, honestly. <laughs> like When you allow yourself to go there, that's the dangerous zone. Right? That's the place where it's like, well, what is this all for anyway? And I've asked that question. Last week, I asked that question. What is this all for anyway? That is a lament. God, what are we doing here? Is it even worth it? But when I go into a place of deciding it's not worth it and I quit, then I'm in the danger zone again, right? So there's good and bad lamenting. Ultimately, lamenting should draw us closer to God and push us to the future promise that we have in him. Amen? All right, let's get on to our second point. The second point is this. Get that grief can move us to greater. Grief can move you to greater. This isn't about ignoring our pain. It's about acknowledging that walking through it will actually take us to greater places and spaces when we do it right. So let's just look at Jesus. Jesus is, well, what? The perfect example of everything because he was perfect. There you go. So here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He prays to God that the cup would be taken from him. It says this in Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Then Jesus came with, him, with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is lamenting. He's in a place of such grief and sorrow that he wants to quit his job. But he knows that it's, it's not the end. He has to walk through grief to get to the end. Matthew 27, 46, on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross, feeling the sorrow and despair, feeling alone in the midst of him being on the cross, feeling like I would love to just get off this cross right now, and feeling like God left him. And so often in our moments of grief, we feel like God must have left us, because how could this be happening? And that's Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Still, Jesus knew that all his pain was for a greater cause. His willingness to go through grief brought about his resurrection, which brought about victory over death for each and every single one of us, an ultimate eternity and hope in Jesus Christ as our Savior. See, our grief is a part of our growth. That growth leads us to greater things. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says this, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory, which means we don't know what this affliction down here is doing that is going to be recognized in eternity. But there is hope for a greater glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's a lot to be seen right now, but there's a lot going on on the eternal side that is changing a generation. There's a lot that we don't see that God is doing in the midst of our momentary light affliction. He is moving. There's a duplicity that's happening here, and it's the first is this, that we are to bear the cross of today. That means we're going to have momentary light affliction. But the other duplicity is that we, while, that we have to look to the unseen of tomorrow. So it's a duplicity of understanding that today ultimately will affect our greater tomorrow. So we can't just drop the load and, and quit and bow out, right? It's going through the momentary light affliction that what produces eternal weight of glory. And the things that we see right now that don't seem to be working are the things that are working in the unseen. So while our world is in chaos, just imagine, right, if our battle is not against flesh and blood and the seen, there's a whole other battle going on in a spiritual realm that we don't even know. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he will literally use everything for his good, for his glory. Our pain is always turned into a glorification of Jesus. When we do what? When we lament well. 
when we represent that our God is king of kings and the only solution, that is when he can really do the work. See, between Jesus and the cross, which is his momentary light affliction, or for me the last 9 to 12 months, which feels like a lot longer than a momentary light affliction, okay? Between those times, we know and he knows that greater was coming. On the cross, he knew that he couldn't give up. Before the cross, in Matthew, we see him asking God, would you take this cup from me? But he knew ultimately he couldn't give up. And I think for us who know Jesus, we understand today that we cannot give up because we have a whole generation that needs him right now. And if we don't learn to carry the cross of today and the grief of today to a place that leads to people's salvation ultimately, if we give up, that won't happen. So we got to keep carrying our cross, keep carrying our grief, keep working through it. It doesn't mean we quit crying out. Actually, in fact, we cry out more because it's no longer just about us. And that's the thing that we have to learn to see is an eternal perspective in our grief. We need to realize, right, that our story isn't just about us. I've talked about this like probably every time I say anything. It's not just about us. When we work on ourselves and we work with our Father and we build relationship with him and we grieve with him and we work through the problem, it's ultimately going to affect others because they're watching us saying, you have the solution, but you don't act like you do. Yet I can stand up here and say, I'm grieved so deeply. I'm so sad. I'm so terrified. I'm so whatever. That doesn't mean I don't have the answer, and nobody else thinks that. They truly know that I can say that in a confidence because the confidence is in the eternity. And so I can say that, and people can see it, and they can see that the truth is in me, and so it is used for his ultimate glory and ultimately for other people to find him. So I think if we can realize that our current situation can lead to greater I mean, it just changes how we view it all, right? Okay, my third and final point is this. We need to press into the potential of the promise. Here's the thing, like I was talking about earlier. We say we need Jesus. And so many of us have just been saying that, that it's become a little bit casual and cliche. But the reality is the truth and the solution to every single one of our problems and hurts and pains and brokenness and our world's brokenness and hurt and pain is ultimately Jesus. It can't become casual or cliche. It needs to become our solution to grief. It needs to become a conviction within us that we understand that the solution is Jesus, that there is a promise that's already been provided We're not waiting for the promise anymore. The promise came in and through Jesus. In Hebrews 11, you see a whole bunch of people who go with faith, knowing that there is a future promise. And even in that moment, when they go in through hard times, they do not see the promise accomplished. Yet they know that there is a greater thing coming. And that greater thing was Jesus. They were held back from that the promise that was in front of them because Jesus was the greater promise. 
And so the reality is that our promise is there. So we need to press into the promise. Revelation 21, 4 says this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. There's a promise that all pain will come to an end. All grief will be abolished. This broken world will pass away. There is a greater promise that we can press into. And that's what leads us to great lament because we know the solution is Jesus. Because we know the promise is there. Because we know eternity will have none of this. And our desire is to see that. Our desire is to see the kingdom of heaven come down to earth. But that has to happen through us. That happens through us pressing in to the potential of the promise. So people can watch and they can see you do have the solution. And you're willing to not just share it, but to sit in it, to be in it, to be with me, to stand alongside of me and allow me to press into that same promise. And I think the thing is, is like, I want to make this whole message all about you. But that's just not the case. It's not all about us anymore. It never has been. Jesus died for the one and for all. It's both end. It's for you and it's for everybody. So at the end of the day, no message stops at just me. No promise stops at just me. It's all of our promise. It's all of our destiny and we can all have healthy grief in and through our Savior. And ultimately, that grief will, be lead, will lead us to a greater place, greater places of lamenting, but greater places of influence, greater places of changing a generation, greater places of providing the promise to others. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in a place of grief today, I'm with you. I didn't want to talk about this day. In fact, I didn't. I don't want to talk at all, really. I want to shut my mouth and go to my room and cry. That's what grief can do, right? It can just knock us out. God's just asking us, cry out to me. Let me push you forward. Let me propel you into what I have for you.